Hail and well met, traveler. Welcome to Threat Dice, a podcast about tabletop role-playing games, storytelling, and the vagaries of the dice. I'm your host, Kylan Wigan. I am one-third of the team at TumbleDie Games, a young company developing a new hybrid storytelling RPG called Trove. We believe in the power of story, and the goal of Trove is to empower both players and game masters to level up the action, drama, and believability in their tabletop games. You can find out more at www.tumbledie.com, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, at TumbleDie, or Instagram. Dawn Chasers returns on Saturday, June 27th with Episode 5. Tethys, Kefir, and Illist have found the secrets of the forgotten Noelin Temple on Dust, a strange power source, and a cave beneath full of strange augmented fauna farming glowing fungus and transforming it into lambent crystals. Now they return to Port Town with their haul, what awaits them as they try to cash in on this scavenger venture? And if you haven't already, check out this week's Tuesday bonus pod, where I debut the new We Roll Dice interview segment. We'll be talking to players and GMs from all across the tabletop RPG sphere about their formative gaming experiences, favorite characters, and more. Our first guest is Eli, a player and GM from Oregon, USA. I had such a great time hearing Eli's story. Interested in having your story featured in a We Roll Dice segment? Reach out to us on Twitter, at TumbleDie, or email me directly at kwiggin, K-W-I-G-G-I-N, at TumbleDie.com. We want to hear your story. For today, let's step away from the Game Master's chair for a minute. I spend and have spent a lot of time there, and so it's the perspective I most often think from. Today, let's sit at the other end of the table and get out from behind the screen. Let's talk about creating characters. And no, this won't be about any system in particular, although I could speak to many. When I was young, I used to spend hours between precious sessions, rolling dice and filling up notebooks full of statistic blocks for first edition AD&D characters. Many of them didn't even have names. Just the process of rolling those dice and totaling the values and imagining using those sweet, sweet bonuses in real play, was all I needed. That instinct, unfortunately, has stuck with me my whole life. Once I create a character, I find myself rarely satisfied with them. Because I like systems so much, when playing D&D or whatever else, I wanted to experience more of the pieces and workings of the game. So, when I created one character of any given class or race, I quickly got bored, because I wanted to see more of it, not be pigeonholed into one aspect for a long time. Others I know would recreate the same character over and over again, in different games and worlds, just so that they could keep doing the thing they loved the most. Everyone has a different way of approaching this, and it's important to remember that no one way is correct. Part of the reason I had so much trouble sticking with any one character, though, was because to me they were not really characters. They were just a collection of numbers and abilities, a way to interact with the game's system, not the game's story. Now don't get me wrong, that's a valid way to play. Some folks prefer to show up at the table with their character sheet and only worry about what's written on it, their abilities, their powers and spells, and so on. For me, I discovered that I had a storyteller's mind. I wanted more from my games, and I needed to find a way to get it. It took a long time to discover what I was lacking, to be honest. 
part of that is I spent almost 15 years sitting only behind the GM screen. From there, I was puppeting the narrative as best I could, and I got to create lots of interesting NPCs, though, to be honest, in those days, I was mostly focused on antagonists. It took a return to the player's seat for me to reconsider everything I knew about character creation. I joined a game online, with a few friends I'd met playing other games on the internet. They started up a new game and needed a healer, so I joined a couple sessions late. The game was Pathfinder 1st Edition. What I consider possibly the most complex system that I have played so far in my life. The emphasis on having a rule for everything was initially daunting, but as I said, I love systems. I quickly found myself lost in the sheer number of options available, thanks to very specific rules and a set of official classes and variations on them longer than both my arms laid end to end. I had initially thought that I would just roll up a cleric, because that's what they needed, right? In the end, since approximately 80% of the games I'd tried to run over the previous decade and a half had ended by about the third session or so, I decided to be cute. Expecting that the game would last a month or two at most, I created a chaotic good tiefling war priest of Sarenray. Funny, right? A devil-looking man worshipping the sun goddess. I didn't even bother to write a real history for him at first, because again, I expected the game would fizzle out pretty quickly, and it wouldn't end up mattering. In truth, we played that game almost every weekend for nigh on two years. Lux, as I called him, ended up becoming a real boy, so to speak, with a history that mattered, people from his past that became critically important in the story, and a character arc that led him from a lone wolf seeking his own vengeance to a leader of men and elves and gnomes, etc. And finally, to throwing it all away and forsaking his goddess, when he could not bring himself to forgive evil one more time. That last moment I described, it was genuinely moving. I had spent two years as Lux, rumbling in a vaguely Eastern European accent about the sun and vengeance, talking with the party's resident shadow demon and discussing the philosophy of the line between darkness and light. And by the end, I had what felt like real emotions about his final conflict in the story, as he turned away from the warm light of Sarenray and fell to darkness. Throughout the game, and over time, his abilities actually became less relevant to me. A warpriest's job, it turns out, is to buff up and hit things, and then heal lost hit points for himself and the party between encounters. That was fine, it didn't require much. And I occasionally wished it would ask more of me, but my role in the mechanics worked. Later, the DM allowed me to take the controversial leadership feat, and I added a gnome fire sorcerer sidekick, which was a blast, ha ha, and let me try out something different, all while maintaining Lux's role in the story. I eventually spent downtime rules recruiting and building an entire cult full of commoners and divine classes alike, rallying followers to his banner. It is a game I will never forget. So, how did Funny Devil Man Thinks Sun is Pretty turn into a genuine emotional experience for me? Well, to be honest, that time it happened mostly by accident. Part of it was how the DM, thank you Travis, after a while, insisted that I actually ground the character in the world. Part of it was how he wove the backstory I created into the conflict that the characters experienced. Another part, I think, was just consistently inhabiting the same persona in a story for such a long time. 
One way or the other, this happened despite the system we were playing. It didn't have anything to do with some magic of Pathfinder specifically, although I do quite enjoy Pathfinder, despite its flaws. This is something that could be accomplished in any game, with the right ideas, and, of course, the right person sitting behind the GM screen. At its core, role-playing is a fundamentally cooperative exercise. A game will not last long if the players and GM feel as though they are on opposite sides of a conflict. As I heard it described recently, it should not be the GM and his world against the players, but instead the GM and the players against the GM's world. This illustrates the fundamental nature, I think, of tabletop RPGs. The Game Master isn't responsible for trying to murder the PCs. He should be their fan, cheering them on even as he pits them against greater and more dangerous challenges. Because to see our characters and our groups struggle and overcome is the reason we're at the table. If there is no challenge, we never see the great things they can do, and so the GM clearly cannot choose to be too nice. However, if there is instead no challenge, because every obstacle is impossible to overcome, players quickly become bored and angry. The GM clearly cannot choose to be too harsh. There are as many gaming styles as there are people. Not everyone just wants to delve dungeons and get treasure. Cool. Not everyone is looking for an emotional experience. That's okay too. One of the key things is finding a group and a game that meshes with what you want to get out of gaming, but that is beyond the scope of this particular discussion. Let's focus on one thing that we can do. As players, we want to be able to walk up to any table, virtual or otherwise, and present or build an interesting character, one who is more than just a collection of numbers and class abilities. So, from the player's perspective, how can we consistently bring interesting characters to a game session? What skills can we use? What techniques can we bring to any table in the gaming-verse in order to at least do our part, and give any GM something to build on and work with? Let's focus on three key principles. Number one, you must have a reason to be there. Number two, give the GM something, anything, to build on. And number three, give acorns, not trees. What the heck does this all mean? We'll go into depth on all three, right after the break. Welcome back. 
Now it's time to go into detail about three core concepts that I think are key to bringing interesting characters. Let's start with the first one. You must have a reason to be there. If you've had the chance to play more than about three sessions of D&D with three different groups, let's say, you've probably encountered the character I call the loner. They usually have a sketchy, tragic backstory that may or may not involve them murdering someone. Their alignment, if playing D&D or Pathfinder, is probably chaotic neutral. The player simultaneously believes that their character is the main protagonist of the story, and also entirely refuses to do anything that involves working to further their interests in that story. They hate or are at least indifferent to the other party members, and generally want to go do their own thing, which usually involves either drinking at the local pub or robbing nearby houses, sometimes both. When questioned on this, the response is invariably, well, it's what my character would do. This player has committed a cardinal sin against principle number one. Her character has no reason to be there. The character is not tied to the story in any way. They have no motivation to work with the group members, or indeed, pursue any agenda other than their own perceived personal gain. Remember when I said that role-playing is, by definition, a cooperative endeavor? It's something that we do together. To show up with a character who has no reason to be part of the game or story is inherently betraying the unspoken contract that we make when we sit around a gaming table. It's not just about your fun, it's about the fun of everyone at that table. So what constitutes a good reason for your character to be there? Well, hopefully, you and the rest of your group sat down for a session zero and discussed the basics of what the story would be about and what kind of characters would fit well in the world. If that's the case, you should have a pretty good idea of what would constitute your reason. Tie it into the pieces your GM has given you. Find a location or an important character she mentioned and build that into your character's story. Make sure that somewhere in there you give them a call to adventure and don't let your character refuse unless you're going to then insist that your character break out of that shell, either by murdering their parents or whatever. But Session Zero isn't always an option. Sometimes you're expected to build a character sight unseen. Giving that character a reason is a little trickier. If you don't have details of the world your character will live in, then your details need to be correspondingly sketchier. Use generalizations instead of specifics. You can always fill in the details later, as you discover more about the game. Make sure, though, that your character first has a certain level of freedom. That's important, that they have a motivation to set out on an adventure. Being happily married with a family is not the kind of life that drives people headlong into a life of daring-do. There's something very specific, though, that every character needs to have. They need a driving goal, preferably something that they want to accomplish in the wider world. What kicked them out of their day-to-day -day life and put them on the path of danger? Why is it better for them to risk their lives hunting gold or whatever, rather than finding a safer path? Is it vengeance? Wanderlust? Do they want to see a certain monument halfway across the world before they die? Seek some esoteric knowledge? Find enlightenment? All of these are possibilities for the character who needs to put themselves in danger, and they are also far from a complete list. Any of these can serve as a reason for your character to be there. Whether highly specific, thanks to the GM sharing details about the world, 
or very vague if you have no idea what you're walking into. Building any of these motivations into your character's personality and story will help you be ready to adapt to the game you join. Subclause 1A. Your character also needs to be designed to play well with others. The world of most RPGs is dangerous. It is even more dangerous to be alone. This means that no matter how despicable your character is otherwise, they need to come pre-designed with the ability to have a soft spot for the other members of the group. They need to have a reason to cooperate. The loner, while a valid character for a novel or other solo endeavor, is not a good choice for the cooperative nature of a tabletop RPG. Okay, so now your character has a reason to be there and a reason to cooperate. Let's look at the next part. Give the GM something, anything to build on. Dead parents are a great motivator for a young adventurer. It's a sad but true state, both in stories and in history. There's a reason that George Lucas had Luke's aunt and uncle killed by the stormtroopers in Star Wars. In order to pursue his destiny, Luke needed a greater motivation than just, there's something bigger out there. His sense of responsibility would have kept him at Uncle Owen's farm. That sense of responsibility is important for us to feel empathy for the character. No one would have liked a version of Luke that just abandoned his aging relatives to jet across the galaxy. It had to be forcefully taken from him, in order for the story to allow him the freedom of joining up with Obi-Wan and Han Solo. While this detail of a backstory works well to fulfill principle number one, my parents died in a fire, and so now I have no home and must wander, and the world is dangerous, so I need friends, it fails to fulfill principle number two. It does not give the GM anything to work with in order to rope your character into the larger story. Aha, you may say, but that's not all for Luke. Stormtroopers murdered his aunt and uncle. That gives him a good reason to hate the Empire, which is, after all, the big bad of the story. Good, good, that's a bit closer. Okay, so Luke now has the freedom he needs, and he has a reason to be there. Escape Tatooine, and help the Rebellion because the Empire is bad. And of course, there's a princess who needs rescuing. We have still not given our GM enough to work with. Let's add another piece of Luke's history. He never knew his father, who was an ace pilot in the Clone Wars, whatever that is. <clears throat> now we're getting somewhere. This little piece of information gives the GM all kinds of leeway to speculate wildly on who Luke's father might have been. By mentioning this, the player has indicated that she is interested in this particular piece of history, which makes it ripe for the plucking. When the GM introduces Obi-Wan Kenobi, the NPC advisor, he drops a bomb on Luke's player. Not only was your father an ace pilot, he was my friend, and a Jedi Knight. By the way, here's your lightsaber. Whoa. From just that little idea, never knew his father, now the GM has been able to use that to tie Luke into the world, build a relationship with an NPC, and further the cause of the story. Now, of course, this probably isn't quite the order that things would have happened in, but theoretically, this whole process could have taken place during a Session Zero. Session Zero is important. That getting clear yet? So now, let's look at principle number three. Acorns, not trees. In the previous example, Luke's player has given the GM an acorn, 
Just an idea, really. An absent father with the vaguest of hints. Ace pilot. This gave the GM something to build on. She makes it so that Luke's father was more than that, and also critical to the story NPC, and with just a few words, builds a vast expanse of imagination that hints at so much more, while being very easy to understand. Now, imagine instead that Luke's player had not given the one-line sentence about an absent ace pilot father. Instead, Luke's player dumped 20 pages of backstory into the GM's lap, describing in detail the plot of all three Star Wars prequels, and how Luke was the heir to a vast legacy of the Force and the son of Anakin Skywalker, also known as Darth Vader. Spoiler alert. These are trees. If you write pages and pages of backstory, detailing everything you've dreamed up about some other story that your character is tied to, it firstly undercuts the story you are about to experience with the other players at the table. Secondly, it weights your expectations in the wrong way. The fun of RPGs is about discovery, about finding out what is going to happen. If you provide all of the details up front, and the GM forgets one, as he inevitably will, it will feel like a betrayal of all the hard work you put in. Instead, we must temper our expectations. Do not grow your acorns into trees before the game has even begun. That job belongs to the GM. If you gift your acorns, it falls to the game master to plant, nurture, and grow them into trees. This metaphor is becoming a bit tortured. The point is, don't build up your expectations ahead of time. When you give the GM something to work with, don't expect them to digest pages upon pages of story that you've already written out in your head. Give them hints as to the direction you'd like to explore, and then give up what you think might happen. Allow yourself to be surprised by what the GM might come up with, and take that at face value, and let your character react to those developments when they come. By wielding these three principles, we can consistently build characters, whether blind or with great information about the world they exist in, who are ready to make new friends, face down grave dangers, and experience new things about themselves as the story progresses, all of the things that should happen during the course of a campaign. And if your campaign only goes three sessions before dissolving, or this particular GM isn't the kind to build on the acorns you provided and just wants to dungeon crawl, well, it's simple enough to do it again, because we didn't invest hours in planning an epic story arc before the game began. We just thought about a few things that might be interesting to explore, and can easily reuse those again, or come up with some new ones without too much trouble. It frees us to experience the game for what it is, rather than relying on any of our own oversized expectations. That's it for now. I hope it got you thinking about your next character and your next game. Got other ideas on how to bring great characters to the table? Come find us out on the internet, or email me directly at kwiggin, that's k-w-i-g-g-i-n, at tumbledie.com. You might even find your ideas, credited of course, here on Threat Dice. Thanks so much for joining me today. Before we go, one quick thing. If you're enjoying Threat Dice, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, or tweet us, at TumbleDye. I'll read any reviews into the announcements on the next session. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, may the road ever rise to meet you. 
Threat Dice is a production of Tumble Die Games, LLC. Our intro music is What Lies Beyond. Today's interlude was Wanderer. And the outro music is Storm, all by Vinsvept. Check out his amazing work at youtube.com slash Vinsvept. V-I-N-D-S-V-E-P-T. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Kylan Wigan. You take people, you put them on a journey, you give them peril, you find out who they really are. You can find Threat Dice on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.